I've been doing a survey all morning. I just want to see, and it's been overwhelming. Um, still, a lot of people do this. How many of you still send out Christmas cards? Or your family does, like the snail mail Christmas cards. All right, more in the other services. Not as many this hour that do that. My family didn't growing up. Um, we still don't. So if you don't get one from me and my family, um, it, you're not alone. It's not because we don't like you. Um, we don't like any of you. I mean, we don't send it to anybody. <laughs> We don't send them up to anybody. So um, we love getting them, though, to see pictures and um, stories of your families and that kind of stuff. But there are some families that do this. And I was doing some research this week and came across some pretty funny ones. There was this one of a mom that I, I guess she said this is good enough for the picture. So here's the picture of her newborn baby and said, maybe this is what life's going to be like. So she just sent it out anyway um, that way. Or how about this one? When dad is in charge of the Christmas cards... They all dress up like dinosaurs and dance on the beach, and that's what gets sent out. Some people like to do themes, though, with their Christmas cards and movie themes. So here's a Home Alone a movie theme with their Christmas card, and my favorite Christmas movie of all time, Christmas Vacation. Um, some single dude must have come up with this theme and said Merry Christmas. How about this family? Um, they're, they're all into it. Um, the Older couple, they're excited. Um, then they have an engaged couple. They have an expecting couple. And Emily. <laughs> Poor Emily. There she is. Um, how about this one, though? This one was printed, and the caption underneath said, Mom printed the cards right before we broke up. <laughs> so she decided to send the cards anyway and just put a sticker over the girl's face, and maybe a new girlfriend would come along later. I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. And maybe to get a true silent night, this is what you have to do. I don't, maybe <laughs> silent night really means this for you and your family. How, how about that song? Um, growing up, I remember singing this song as a kid when we'd go Christmas caroling with my church and singing silent night, and I'd have no idea what they were talking about. Around you on virgin, I, I had no clue what that was. I just knew she was pregnant and round. So maybe that's the theme behind it. And sleeping in heavenly peace and silent nights. And as I got older, I realized that babies and silent nights don't go together. Um, I don't understand that phrase, you know, sleep like a baby. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I believe if Mary and Joseph were here and they heard us sing silent night, they would say, no, it wasn't. It was not a silent night. There was nothing silent about the night Jesus was born, really just the opposite. And the rumblings of a non-silence had started well before Jesus. We're going to tell a story this morning. I'm going to talk to you about a story that started before Jesus. But the political scene at the time, the social scene, the religious scene, it was not stable. This was not a good time in society, really, for almost anybody. And especially Mary and Joseph. If we get this concept of Christmas and Jesus... Um, and understand it. Mary was probably about 15. We're guessing at her age, but mid-teens, maybe late teens, is usually when they got married and started to have families. And she was from a town called Nazareth. We, we learn in Scripture that nothing really good came from Nazareth, so how could this be a good thing? It was her first child, and she was away from home when she had the baby meaning there was not many others around. She actually had the baby in a barn or a place where they kept animals is where she was at when she had Jesus. And the only person that was around was her young husband. And he wasn't a doctor. 
He was a carpenter by trade, so there was no midwife. Her mom wasn't there, no in-laws, no older sisters to help with this. Someone that's experienced having a baby, nobody like that. I can't believe that it was a silent, easy night for them. Christmas cards might paint a completely different story than of your family as well if you do this, and you always give the prettiest and nicest things out. But if you read between the lines, you know that there are tough times in any family. Philip Yancey says it this way about Christmas cards. He says, inside the cards stress sunny words like love, goodwill, cheer, happiness, and warmth. It is a fine thing, I suppose, that we honor a sacred holiday with such homey sentiments. And yet when I turn to the gospel accounts of the first Christmas, I hear a very different tone and sense mainly disruption at work. So let's go to a time a little bit before Jesus and see if we can understand what's going on. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to get them out. If you don't have a Bible, but you have your phone on you, um, get your Bible app open and you can follow along with what we're doing with our events. So if you go to the Bible app and then open events, you can see Crestview there and all of the scripture is going to be there as well. So Luke chapter one is where we're at. And we're going to tell a story right before Jesus was born of something that happened. Luke chapter one, and Luke does a great job of unpacking some of this for us and giving us some insight and history behind it. He says it this way in verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, King Herod was in a very vibrant time in the timeline of Rome. Rome was doing some pretty amazing things during this time, for Rome at least, not necessarily for everyone around them. They were on the move and they were taxing a lot of people around them. Judea was a part of the area that they were moving into and taxing, and Rome was in full swing of all of this. Lots of money coming in, and Herod played a key part for Rome, but only in the area of Judea. Because of his major role and his effort there, he was rewarded richly by Rome. So he had lots of money coming in, and his kingdom in Judea was growing. I believe he had his plate full. He was probably building homes and palaces and his own kingdom right there. But there's a dark side to this guy named Herod. And to unpack his character and give you a little bit of insight into who he was, he was a very suspicious person. And any king during that time had to watch his back because he never knew who was coming after his kingdom. He actually murdered two of his brothers-in-law because he thought that maybe they were going to take over his kingdom. He was scared of that. He went even further. He had one of his wives killed and two of his own sons killed because he thought they were trying to take over his kingdom. And if you get this, the character of this guy, Herod, when he was getting close to death and he knew that he was going to die, he knew that no one would be sad when he passed away. In fact, they might be happy. So he wanted everyone to mourn and cry when he died. The only way that he knew to do this was to gather up a bunch of citizens. So he sent out his troops, his army, and they gathered a bunch of citizens. They brought them in, and they were instructed that when King Herod died, on the day that he died, they were to execute those citizens. Therefore, he would be certain that people would be crying on the day that he died. It's the only way he knew. That's the kind of guy that he was. So when we hear later on, after Jesus was born, that King Herod gave an order to kill all the babies two years old and younger because he had heard a rumor that the Messiah was born and he was trying to find and kill the Messiah, Jesus, you understand what kind of guy this was. 
to the people of Judea at this time, they'd hit rock bottom. This is the worst it had ever been in their society and in our world. And the people of the time had been praying for their Messiah for 400 years. It had been 400 years since a prophet of God had spoke to the people. And they were ready for God to come and to send them their Savior, their Messiah. But after 400 years, it seemed like God wasn't listening. Would you give up on prayers if you'd prayed for 400 years for something? Would you keep praying? To them, it had been a long, silent night. So verse 5, we continue. It says, there was a priest named Zechariah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. This was kind of a, a power couple. These, these two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were a good couple, still faithful to God. In fact, their names, back then names really meant something. And to define somebody by their name, this was it. Zechariah, if you were to understand and, and define his name, his name was defined as faithful. And Elizabeth, her name was covenant or promise. If you put them together, this couple a faithful promise. They were true to their promises and they held on to those and they trusted a God that was also true to his promises. They were faithful in their commandments and statutes to the Lord. Here's the hard part. Verse seven, it says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They were old. They were past the point of having children themselves they couldn't do that, but they were faithful and they were committed, even though they didn't have children. I happen to believe that at some point they were wondering if God was even listening to them. Where is this God? Does he even care about us anymore? Why is God so mean to us? Why would God not bless us? We are faithful and committed to our promises. We've been good to God. How come God did this to us? Why would he be so mean to good people? Why do good people have to suffer like this? And many people believe, and many pastors will preach, that if you do good things, you will receive good things. That's called the prosperity gospel. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches that even when we are good and faithful, that we live in a sinful, broken world, and that sin still impacts us deeply. And there may be times where it doesn't work out for us the way we had hoped or wanted. I believe that they probably prayed for years, probably to the point where they gave up praying. They gave up praying for what they had wanted. I mean, really, why keep praying for something that's impossible now? It's physically not possible anymore, so we're going to quit praying. And why keep praying to a God that doesn't seem to be listening at all? Why would I keep praying for this over here when God didn't even answer this over here? I'm just done. And in their time, uh, to be childless, and it may be a little bit like this today, um, in their time, though, specifically, to be childless was really a curse they were looked down upon. They would have been looked at as though they were spiritually defective. People looked at it as a spiritual thing, that God was cursing them. And to top it off, Zechariah was a priest. 
How hard would that have been on him to think I'm a priest and now I'm spiritually defective and I've got a curse on God on me. Elizabeth may have reached a point with God where her nightly prayers were crying and begging God to bless her, to have her become pregnant, to bear a child. But I believe she probably moved through those nights of crying and begging and her prayers probably became silent nights where she quit praying at all. And Zechariah, during that time, it was common for a man to divorce his wife if she couldn't have children. If she couldn't produce a child, he would divorce her and marry someone else so that they could have children. But you notice in the story, he didn't do that. Zechariah didn't divorce her. Why? We're not really sure, but I would guess it's because of his own character. Because of who he was. Or maybe he thought it was his fault, not hers. Maybe he took it on himself and thought, what have I done? Where have I messed up? Why am I not good enough? Why is God not blessing me? But we see it. They lived up to their names, faithful to their promise. Now, before I move on, I want to address something here. And I do want to say that I understand and I believe that the issue of infertility is a serious issue in the world then, and it still is in our world today. Now, I cannot say I know how you feel if you've ever gone through this or you're going through it, but I can sympathize with you. And I can say I understand that it is a serious issue, and I can say that I see that even during the holidays, it can be very tough, especially during Christmas time. A time that highlights family, shopping with your kids, parties, gatherings with your family, and you can't even escape it when you come to church. Because you come to church during Christmas time, and what do you hear? A story about a baby. It's centered around that. But what I want you to hear from me this morning is, one, you are not alone. You're not alone. There are people in this church that have walked that path, that have gone down that route. And if you're feeling like you're all alone, please let me know because I want to connect you with somebody that has gone there, that can say, I know how you feel, and can walk with you. And I want you to know you're not forgotten. We haven't forgotten about you. We know that this is a tough time. But I want you to know that others have experienced it, and we care, and we want to support and help you walk through it. Let's read on. Um, Verse 8, it says, Now while he, and this is back to Zechariah, while Zechariah was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And while the multitude of the people were praying outside at their own Sorry, at the hour of incense. Now, this is an amazing time period for a priest. And not every priest ever got to do this. Some of them served their whole life as a priest and never got to go into the Holy of Holies and pray for the people. But he got chosen. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It doesn't happen very often. And he was chosen to go into the Holy of Holies and pray and burn incense in the presence of God for the people. This was a great thing for Zechariah. And what would he be praying for? He'd be praying for the same thing they've been praying for for 400 years. 
that God would bring a Messiah, that God would bring them their Savior to rescue them. And when he got in there, verse 11 says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Right here, I read this, and if you stop long enough, you can see it. Here's another place where our perspective of a silent night and the calm concept of Jesus and Christmas are different than what actually happened. If you've ever seen an angel, I have not, but what I read through scripture, my understanding is that angels are soft and cuddly and, you know, there to help us and guide us. But every time I read it, especially in the story, everyone is scared of them. They're, they're gripped with fear. They're, they're scared to death. And he falls down when this angel appears to him. Angels are always scary, especially in this story. So he is scared, and fear is a big part of the Christmas story. You cannot read the Christmas story without seeing fear in everyone that is a part of that. The angel says to him, do not be afraid. And he's thinking, yeah, easier said than done, right? When someone ever tell, when you're scared and someone tells you don't be scared, you're like, that doesn't help. <laughs> Just because you say it doesn't make it happen, right? And maybe you're there. Maybe there's something in your life that you're afraid of. And you need to hear these words this morning. God doesn't just say them once to us. He says them over and over and over to us. Do not be afraid. The reason the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And he's thinking, yes, great. What prayer? (laughs) Which one? You haven't talked to us in 400 years. I've prayed a lot of prayers in my life. Which prayer? The prayer for the people? The prayer for the Messiah? I, come on, let me know which prayer. Now, the angel doesn't give him much of a chance to think through this. He keeps going. He says, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, it's my own opinion that the angel got done saying all of that and Zechariah probably stopped listening right after he said, your wife will bear you a son. (laughs) And the rest was just a blur. He's like, I know you were talking, but I wasn't listening because I just heard your wife is going to have a son. His eyes glazed over and that was it. And I believe he was thinking, that prayer That's the prayer that you heard? That's the prayer? Dude, I haven't prayed that prayer in a long time. I quit praying that prayer because God wasn't listening. I haven't prayed that prayer. You must be making a mistake. And that long, silent night is becoming not so silent. Right there. In the Holy of Holies, with Zechariah and an angel, the pot was stirring. And a baby was going to be born in an unexpected way. 
in an unexpected time, in an unexpected place, to unexpected people, and he's going to do unexpected things. Here's the crazy part. His name will be John, and he is only going to lead the way for another baby that's going to be born that's going to do, sorry, that's going to be born in an unexpected way, in an unexpected time, in an unexpected place to do unexpected things with unexpected people. And Zechariah doesn't believe it. I wouldn't have either. If you were there, maybe you wouldn't have either. And he does what I would have done. He starts to question the message that God has just given him. And I've done this before. And he looked at the angel and he said, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Gentlemen, this is, uh, note what he did here. This is important to help you in your marriage. He said he was old, but he said his wife was advanced, all right? So this is a good lesson and some wisdom on when you're speaking about your wife. I'm old, she's advanced, so it's a good thing to learn from. He tries to teach the angel a lesson in biology. I'm too old to have a baby. It's, it doesn't, don't you know how this work, works? It, it doesn't happen like this. But the crazy part is, Zechariah, he knows the Bible. He's a priest. He's been studying the Bible, the Old Testament. He's learned the stories. He's taught the stories. He knows the story of Abraham and Sarah. He knows that it's possible. He knows that God can do amazing things through other people. Through people in the Bible, God works miracles. Through other people in their stories, he can do amazing things. But not me. God doesn't do amazing things through me, just others. And you may have stopped praying because you don't believe that God cares or that God is listening or that God can use you. So what have you stopped praying for? What have you given up on? Who have you stopped praying for? And he does what most of us do. He shifts gears to the how. I always do this. He answered, I'm sorry, the angel answered him and he said, I am Gabriel. Now get this, it's not just any angel. God just didn't send down a random angel to tell this story. This is Gabriel, the angel of angels. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I believe the angel was like, Bro, are you kidding me? You're doubting me and this mess. I'm bringing you good news. This is a great thing. And you're doubting me? And we do this. It's a protective thing. Um, I've watched this happen in my own life, probably yours as well. We don't want to get hurt again. So the way we don't get hurt again is to make sure there's no disappointment in our lives. So to make sure there's no disappointment, we just lower the expectations or we take away hope. And if I take away hope in my life, then when it doesn't happen, I'm not disappointed And it's a protective thing. I don't want to be disappointed, so I have no hopes, no dreams, no wishes. And living with hope is not living at all. Now you're just existing. And I believe you were made for more than just existing. So the angel says to him, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
We've all been skeptical of gifts. Somebody gives us a gift and we're like, I'm not sure this is the real deal. Is this really going to work out? Is this really going to happen? You've done this before. And he's doubting the message of God that God has given him. And God actually really just puts him in timeout and says, you're going to be in timeout for a few months. Um, you can't speak. And we're going to see how this works out. The people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months, she kept herself hidden. She kept herself hidden probably for the same reason that many of you didn't tell people right away when you became pregnant, right? I doubt that many of you, when you became pregnant, showed up to work the next day or called family members and said, hey, guess what happened last night? I think I'm pregnant. Um, we'll, we'll find out, uh, I hope, right? You held on to that for a while. You wanted to make sure it took. You wanted to make sure it was a real thing because the word of a pregnancy travels faster than the word of a miscarriage. And you don't mind telling the story of your pregnancy over and over, but if you ever have gone through a miscarriage, you, you never want to tell that story over and over. So you want to make sure it's the real thing so that if it doesn't happen, you don't have to go through that. I believe she's also just waiting till she couldn't hide it anymore. What are people going to think? Remember, she's advanced in years, and now she's pregnant. What, are, what happened? There's going to be a lot of questions with this. Or maybe, and this is just a theory, I don't know for sure, maybe the older we get, the more patient we get. And also, the older we get, the more reflective we get on our lives. And I believe she just doesn't want to miss any part of this pregnancy. She is not struggling or wishing it would be over soon. She's not sitting at home in pain thinking, oh, I can't wait to have this kid out of me and I can move on in life. Remember, she is old and she's been praying for this her whole life. I believe she wants to experience every single part of this pregnancy, every high and every low, every move, every emotion of being pregnant. She wants to take it all in. She doesn't want it to rush by. It's probably never going to happen again. Verse 25. This is her. She says, thus the Lord has done this for me. Or she says, for me. This is something special for her. In the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is her saying, wow. God was listening. He did hear my prayers. So I believe with all my heart that Christmas is the announcement that God hears you. That's a Christmas message. God hears your prayers in the middle of your fears, in the middle of your doubts and confusion and worries. God hears you. It's, it's the power that comes to an old skeptical man so that he can sing which is exactly what Zechariah does after John is born and he gets his voice back. Jump down to verse 77 with me. I'm going to read from the message. This is part of the song that Zechariah sings to God. The first thing he does when he gets his voice back. 
through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in the darkness, those setting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way one foot at a time down the path of peace. I believe if Zechariah was here today, his message to us would be this. Keep praying. And keep obeying. Keep praying. That prayer you gave up on, pick it back up. Whatever it's been, whatever it was, pick that back up and keep praying that prayer. Whether it's for you, for something, for someone, and keep obeying. His message to us and his guidance and leadership is for a reason. And if we continue to obey and continue to pray, we'll be faithful in that promise. And just because God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want him to, and in the time frame that I want him to, doesn't mean I need to stop praying that prayer or any other prayer that I've ever prayed. I believe that wishful thinking is not founded on anything. But hope is founded on the promise of God. Hope, Hebrews 11.1 one. Because the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. What they couldn't see was that God was faithful to them, and God did have a plan. And I believe he will be to you as well. And even if your prayer doesn't come through the way you think it should or will God still is working something in this life. He is listening. And if you've never accepted his son, who he sent for us, the Messiah that was brought to us, the message that John brought, that Jesus is the Messiah, if you've never accepted that, I'd love to share that with you. I'd love to tell you about Jesus. Um, You're welcome after this service is over to come and find me, and I'd love to share that message with you some more. And if you have, keep praying. Keep obeying and keep faithful to the promise that God has made to you. Now that promise we're going to celebrate, and that promise is Jesus and the life that he gave for us. So if you would, let's stand together and let's prepare our hearts for a time to remember Jesus.